Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit OccultConfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Taoism developed into two separate but interrelated practices in China. The first is the classical philosophical Taoism of Lao Tzu and Chong Tzu, seeking the harmony and unity of the one, the balance of opposing forces, the sacred way of nature. Was I dreaming that I was a butterfly, or am I now a butterfly dreaming that I am me? The second is popular, religious, magical Taoism. The Yellow Emperor and disappearing corpses and the search for the elixir of immortality. These branches of Taoism were not entirely distinct and often overlapped. The philosophy informed the way magicians and alchemists plied their craft, and the great philosophers, especially Lao Tzu, were said to have achieved great magical feats through their devotion to the way. And so, while the Taoist alchemist had more to do with the magical side, she, they were both men and women, she was not entirely dissociated from the philosophy. The Taoist alchemists were, not unlike their Western counterparts, concerned with making gold. But more often than not, that gold was not an end unto itself. In ancient Chinese culture, money was considered an inferior pursuit to scholarship. The scholar alchemist sought to produce gold for the benefits it offered to his learning and the development of the elixir not for wealth. Artificial gold was preferred to natural gold because of the spiritual effort required to produce it. Often, gold became the material for a vessel from which the alchemist might drink an elixir that would confer immortality. This elixir was often called simply the elixir, or the golden pill, or pill of immortality. Often, Taoist alchemists lived long lives, prolonged through their arts, and disappeared mysteriously at death, with the lower masters disappearing from within their clothing and the higher masters ascending bodily into heaven. Overcoming death in this way required great concentration, best achieved separate from one's fellow humans in the forest or the mountains. Our trope of the great Chinese master dispensing wisdom to weary pilgrims from a shrine atop a mountain is actually derived from the ancient Taoist alchemist. Today, we climb together up that mountain in search of a confession from the Chinese alchemists. I feel like it's been a while since we talked about Taoism. And China generally, yeah. Oh yeah, well I guess those... Like going hand in hand. <laughs> Feels like this is the uh, yeah. Generally, I, I love Taoism. I, I'll also love Buddhism, and I love uh, what's the other one? Chinese traditional religion, which is kind of Taoism. Confucianism. Confucianism. Yeah, there you go. Good job. You were paying attention. Yeah. I was literally just talking to Ryan about that, like not like two days ago. We were just Confucius? talking about that. Yeah. You were talking about Kung Tzu. Well, so we're watching the. Ter- it, actually, it's not related. <laughs> You were watching what? So we've been watching this show called The Terror on AMC, but the second season is, like, it's based around, like, Pearl Harbor and, like, Japanese internment camps, but there's, like, a whole, like, spiritual component. And so we, I don't know, we started talking about religions in China and, like, I don't know. It's a whole thing. It's not. It's. I, I get it, Japan, because the Chinese, the Japanese imported a lot of Chinese culture around the eighth uh, century, I think, right around there. Yeah. So. There are a lot of overlaps between Japanese and Chinese ideology going way back. The Japanese, of course, have Shinto, whereas the Chinese do not. 
So that that's a sort of major cultural difference. But as far as Buddhism and some Taoist principles, they definitely absorb those. My name is Rob C. Thompson, Doctor of Things Occult, and I am joined by Olivia Litterall, Grandmaster of the Order. Hello, everyone. And also in our discussion today, we have Shannon Landers, Instaquisitor, Quisitor of the Instas. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> De- I'm delightful. Here. There's like sparkles around her face. <laughs> she said like doing jazz fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unicorn flies overhead. It's like a twinkle in my eye. Yes. Can confirm. <laughs> I had like a side question real quick. So I know you're saying on Taoism, but I know sometimes it's spelled with a T. Is one preferred? <laughs> or is it the same thing? There, there I know it's technically, the same, but... I believe the Library of Congress sets some standardizations. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm using a T in my script today, <laughs> but I have I do see the D fairly often, Shannon. So, I mean, the thing is, we're we're crossing alphabets because the Chinese alphabet is completely different. That's why we have to have these codes, and that's why there are lots of differences in the way we spell stuff. And that's why we have Latinized names like Confucius is not really Confucius. He would have been called. Kong Tzu in his lifetime, not Confucius. We Latinized his name. So Russia has the same problem because they have a different alphabet too. So we have to have standardizations of Russian terms the same way. Even in the Blo- or not Blavatsky episode, wrong freaking person, uh, freaking Bathory. But she's Ukrainian. Oh, yeah. Bath- she, Hungarian, well, I was thinking yeah. in the Bathory episode, there was a lot of times where there were like multiple words that I could choose for one thing. Because of the translations, there was like, there could be three different outcomes for the name of a castle. And it's like all the same thing, but you don't realize they're talking about the same place. All right. So you're not really going to offend anyone if you spell with a T or a D. It's just. Yeah, especially on a podcast. I think as long as you just <laughs> yeah. say Taoism. We just said it. Like the fact I'm pointing out the spelling. <laughs> like, we would have been fine if I didn't do that. <laughs> love, love when we talk about spelling, Shannon. You are right. You are in their sweet spot here. They love nice. spelling conversations. I'm glad, I can, I'm glad I can bring up the, the spelling content our listeners have been dying for. <laughs> for this audio. We, we the members <laughs> of oh, the, the Secret, Secret Order of Alchemical, alchemical Actors, actors. Do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of cult as far as we know it. That felt pretty good. Rob and I were pretty, we're getting pretty good, I think. Oh, well, I guess I was just just in a hot minute. You kind of just have to like hesitantly power through. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I think we're matching, but You have to half listen. Yeah. Halfless, all right. It's, I was, it's hard. Well, I was halfway there. I said half of it, so. Just quarantine things. Yeah. <laughs> you half spoke rather than half listened. Yeah, I get this mixed up a lot. All right, we have got a big list today, Olivia, so let's get into it. Plug us on, on. So yes, it, we have taken we took an episode off uh, for Olivia to go around the world and do the, uh, what you call it, the uh, interviews. So we haven't done the <laughs> Uh, patrons in quite a while. So so we do have a long list. I want to give them each a special moment. Uh, so ladies, can you help give them each a special moment for me? Yes. We'll give them all a little bit of love. Jenny C. Woo! Jeremiah B. Yes, Jeremiah. <laughs> Jerome B. Okay, Jerome. Danny D. Okay, Danny. I see you. Tim G. Woo! Timmy. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you, is it Timmy great. or Jimmy? This is actually pretty good. Um, Elvin. Oh, sorry. LV nine slime, which maybe is level nine slime. Le- level Ooh. nine slime. Try level ten slime. <laughs> <laughs> Mary G. You are a G, Mary. Katie, which is a name that's near and dear to my heart because I have dated many women named Katie and then married one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I did that one. Andrew T. Okay, Andrew. I'm running out also, of things yeah. to say. You're so just, Shannon, if you started you wanna... off so strong. Okay, but I've, got, I've got one all on my own here. Andrew oh. T. and Jared T. have the exact same last name. And <gasps> I, I, I don't know if they're related or what, but they signed on to Patreon right one after the other. Should they just get married? Yeah. If they're not related, they're, they're basically there. If you're on our, if you're on the Call Confessions Patreon, you have the same last name. You might as well just get married. You're is what we're it. trying to say. I mean, that's we'll why we'll be people, alerting all our patrons who have the same last name. I mean, that's why people listen, right, for the spelling and then also um, to find <laughs> couples. Yeah, yeah. we're also <laughs> significant other <laughs> <laughs> to meet their mate who already has their last name. Yes. <laughs> Saves a, time on the monogram. It's a specific uh, market, but. <laughs> Anna Maleficium, or Anna who goes by Maleficium, yes, we know her well. Anna, yes. <laughs> uh, we got another bump from Cat Daddy Welts because Cat Daddy is the best. Uh, and I, I asked Cat Daddy if if uh, he had any words for our listeners, and and he's a very modest guy. didn't didn't feel like he wanted to take up time on the airwaves. He said, just keep it smart and spooky. Okay, Daddy, uh-huh. I see. <laughs> <laughs> What do you see? I see him. Oh, okay. You see him. Yeah, I see him. You see his soul. You meet him. I see him for him. On the astral plane. Uh, And last but not least, we have Judas and Magnolia. Uh, Judas and Magnolia. Yeah, so these very cool people. uh, I've actually. Is that a band? It sounds like. No, no, no. It is a a, a cult themed magic act. (gasps) Yes. And uh, now our patrons slash friends. Oh, so, wow! Very cool stuff. I'm very yeah, intrigued. We have so uh, many friends. We do have Judas, a lot of friends that we just named. I just I, I connected with Judas on Facebook, and uh, from what I can tell, Ju- I'm calling him Judas because that's his stage that. name. I love that. Uh, you connected with he, Judas on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Christians are turning, tuning out Christian by the mingle scores who? <laughs> right now. Yeah. That's who needs Christian Mingle when you can connect with Judas on Facebook. Oh <laughs> uh, but there's going to be this sort of like a very philosophical, existential mind reader show that he's planning for the future. So very cool. Yeah. Very cool stuff. All right. Uh, I, because that took so long, Olivia, I think we shouldn't be plugging any other things. Listen to well, The Dark you Pool. Wanted everyone to have a moment. So listen, I know. And they deserve it. Uh, listen to The Dark Pool. Uh, continue to help us here because um, we are actually we're doing reasonably well on Patreon. Uh, and now we've got our eyes set on our next goal, um, which, according to the promises I've listed on that goal, will include us creating more content. Um, so. I, I, somehow we will achieve that uh, so there would be more episodes I guess if we can reach our next target so by all means keep keep signing on alright Olivia bring us on out of this plug 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 golf okay. claps golf claps golf claps here we are this is the end of our conversation about alchemy uh, I, I did want to take this to an international direction because we haven't, we've been very Western occultism for the last four episodes, and and after I do that for so long, I start to feel a little 
claustrophobic. I got to get out, got to get out, stretch <laughs> my legs. And it's, it has been a while since we've gone to China. I think the, probably the healing series when we went to Ch- we did Chinese medicine. The last I, yeah, the, the, talking about like the White Lotus, like that's the last I remember, I think. Oh, that was the Warfare series, the White Lotus Society. Oh, wait, we shit. actually Oh, we did. We did oh, we did yeah. Chinese medicine. Did, that's right. We did, yeah. So um, today we're, we're just going to sort of try to give an overview of how Chinese alchemy works. It's a really interesting system. And I, I think, uh, I know we have a lot of our listeners are, are very interested in alchemy. You'll see connections between what the Chinese are doing and what the Westerners are doing. Um, but you're, you're also going to perceive all kinds of glorious differences, which uh, I hope will open and expand minds. So let's get down to it. Let's get started with the Hisian. Hussian. Oh, this is going to be tough. I do okay with Chinese, I think. Because uh, I've, I've been to China. I've heard them speak. Uh, I've internalized at least, again, the confidence, <laughs> if not the actual <laughs> skill. Zhu Yan is perhaps the earliest philosopher directly associated with alchemy. Although none of his writing has survived, only writing about him, so it's impossible to say whether the association was legitimate, meaning the association between Zhu Yan and alchemy. What was that word you taught us before where that... That means that it me like when we know about people not through their writing but through other people's writing of them. Oh, that's pseudographia. That's when somebody writes and uses somebody else's name. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't know if that has happened to Zuyan. That's it's too deep for me, but it's possible that people wrote using his name. But in this case, yeah, we only know what people have said about him. It's it's almost like Jesus, right? Like we've got like a smattering of quotes from Jesus, but mostly what we know about Jesus comes from Paul and, you know, the folks who wrote about him 80 years later, 90 years later. So this is actually a lot like Zuyan, really. Jesus is a nice correlation. So even the quotes, right, would have been remembered 50, 60, 70 years later. So this is the same deal with Zuyan. So he lived in the state of Qi roughly 300 years before the Common Era. After his death, he was called a Fangxi, but his work in magic is difficult to discern as a historical fact, and many believe that he inspired subsequent feng shi, but was not one himself, meaning magician, feng shi. Uh, in ancient China, the feng shi, or masters of astrology and esoteric arts, included among their various pursuits an effort to create the elixir of life. Classic alchemy. Centuries, classic Chinese alchemy, I'll say that. Centuries after their deaths, these fangxi were credited with earlier alchemical methods, although there's no clear evidence of their direct contributions to alchemy. Getting back to your pseudographia, Olivia, we're like, oh yeah, the fangxi did this, because it makes it seem more legitimate. Just like we would say, Albertus did this, because it makes it seem more legitimate. So in other words, when we look for alchemy before the Han Dynasty, a couple hundred years after the year uh, one, we can only speculate, although there are traces of seeds among these ancient magicians. So when it comes to actual alchemical practice, the first name on the list after this Zuyan guy, so the first guy who we feel pretty confident actually did alchemy, is Li Xiaojun. This is circa 133 BCE. So this is actually the first part. The Han Dynasty bridges both sides. There's a, I think it's an Eastern and a Western Han. He suggested to Emperor Wu of the Han a ceremony involving making sacrifices at a stove 
by which spirits would help to turn cinnabar into gold, which was then used to make vessels for eating and drinking, which would prolong the emperor's life and put him in touch with spirits and deities, who would ultimately help him to achieve immortality. It's a bit of a process. Wait, so it's the vessel that... It's not the, yes. the liquid? You are trying to make a special cup. And, well, then you do need to make a special stuff that goes in the cup. But before you can get to that, you need the cup. The cup needs to be special. It can't just be any old cup. Mm, I see. So you got to alchemy up a special cup. Then you got to alchemy up a special liquid. You see? Which one's harder? <laughs> I, I don't think that they, <laughs> they differentiate. Okay. It's a step-by-step <laughs> process. It's one, two, three. All right. It's like sort of like saying, is it harder to do the balance beam or the uh, other thing that gymnasts do? Well, I feel like we could probably figure that out <laughs> based d- off of, you know, what comes first it's matter in of taste. learning. I just picture someone has like the job to make the cup and they're like, damn it. Like, this is a hard job. <laughs> I wanted the easy one. I wanted to make this stuff, not the thing that holds the stuff. Technically, Shannon, I think you're supposed to do it all by yourself so that you could achieve like that level of wisdom all on your own. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. So I'm glad someone does. I don't know if I do. You would hire it out. You would would delegate. So uh, according, go back to Lee and his multiple step process that he pitched to the emperor, Emperor Wu. Uh, this process, he said, was the way the legendary Yellow Emperor had first succeeded at alchemy. Now, I mentioned the Yellow Emperor in the open. Let's figure out who this guy is. The Yellow Emperor, also called Huang Di, is said to have reigned for about a hundred years. I, I don't oh. actually. I don't mean that. For, to have reigned for a hundred years, exactly. Period. Not about a hundred years. Precisely a hundred years. Okay. I often say about because that usually is true. And we're talking about history, that's true. But when we're talking about myth, sometimes that's not true. So with the Yellow Emperor, he reigned from 2697 BCE to 2597 BCE. It's not even like it's random dates. It's very specific numbers. (laughs) You know? Yeah, it's weird. Like, mythologically, you might be like, he ranged from 3,000 to 2,900, but no, no even numbers. They have a very specific year. It's, like, almost plausible. Like, almost. Like, I don't right. know. Like, I can't. Yeah, I don't know. But he's he's ruling, right? So he's alive this entire time and right. in, you know, good mental health, right? Um, scholars today believe he was actually a god who was translated into a quasi-historical figure. So he was probably an ancient deity, and then we were like, oh, he was also a ruler. Like sort of like the Egyptians? opposite. Uh, kind of, but, e- but the opposite, like of the reverse. Yeah. yeah, backwards Egyptians. Rather than taking the pharaoh and making him a god, or I think the Sumerians did this, like different ancient cultures did this. This is a god who we then made an emperor. So Lee established fundamental tenets, my first alchemist, of Chinese alchemy. The would he talk to the emperor? First, that it involved the ritual invocation of spirits. So you need to get some otherworldly entities to help you out. Second, that the path to immortality involved, as Olivia's pointed out, the making of vessels constructed from artificially produced gold. Artificially produced. That's We got to make it ourselves, Shannon. <laughs> but Lee did not leave us any substantial texts himself. 
The first significant set of alchemical texts is the Taiping Jing or Taijing scriptures or scriptures of the nine elixirs. So this is like the major corpus, the originary, you know, library of ideas, the corpus hermeticum of Chinese alchemy. There's nine? There's nine elixirs. They do various things. We're only really interested in the immortal one today because we don't have all week. But yes, there are nine total elixirs. Yeah. So my guy, Lee, who we've been talking about, the important thing to note about him is that he, like the legend has it that he detailed this process to the Emperor Wu. And that's pretty much all we know about him and alchemy. Somebody else described that he had you know, told the Emperor Wu, this is how you achieve immortality. And that's the whole of what we know about this guy in alchemy. But after him, as we get into this scripture of the nine elixirs, now we're starting to deal with people who they're using these texts and they're developing texts of their own out of these. It starts to look more like Western alchemy, where somebody will discover a book and then they'll create their own book and then people will read those books and create another book. And sort of like this pool of scholarship begins to build. Why was he? Why was this person called the Yellow Emperor? Why? Why? Yellow and yellow was like a regal gold? color. Yeah. Oh. Well, no, possibly, but yellow is like a regal color to the Chinese. So it's the emperor's color. Yellow. Oh, sick. That's my favorite color. Kind of like purple, maybe <laughs> in too. Western culture. But yeah, it's yellow oh, in China. I see. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, these books were said to or the scripture of the nine elixirs were said to have been derived from the heaven of great clarity. I'm going to describe the difference between our heavens. We actually have a few options as to how we might understand this heaven. The heaven of great clarity might be an external place about 40 miles above the surface of the earth, right around where Charles Fort's Super Saragasso Sea might would be located. Or it could be an inner place residing within our own minds and bodies, which is easier for us to accept these days. So your heaven of great clarity lies within Grasshopper. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to say that a lot today. <laughs> I don't know if it's, I apologize if it's offensive. <laughs> I hope it's not. I, mean, I don't, who knows? It's a, it's a kung fu movie thing. So what can I you mean, do? Then it's a trope. Karate Kid's offensive. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Who am I to say? Mr. Miyagi? I don't know. Mr. Miyagi feels like a positive a character for good. Cobra Kai maybe seems a little bit of... Anyway, let's get to it. I haven't seen it. So, we are going to get into that stuff a little bit. Um, so, uh, what are we talking about? I have no idea. The Heaven of Great Clarity. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> uh, the texts were written by the gods and goddesses in the Heaven of Great Clarity, initially as manuals for each other. So, the gods, like, were writing out for each other, this is how you make these nine elixirs, just in case. So, they're all, like, trading recipes, essentially. So then the gods translated these texts for us humans, but they did it in a way that obscured their deeper meaning. Um, however, they weren't like, oh, we can't, we have to obscure the deeper meaning and keep occult secrets from humans. They were more like humans will never comprehend the, you know, complex mystery of these nine elixirs. So we're going to translate our text, our recipes in such a way that humans can get it. It's the only way they can understand it, and it sort of incidentally obscures the deeper meaning of the text. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Why would they want humans to have it? They're not like the Greek gods. They're they're oh, okay. not <laughs> trying to like lightning bolt us and like you know turn us <laughs> into cattle and stuff. 
So, the text passed from the Mysterious Woman, capital M, capital W, the Mysterious Woman, to the Yellow Emperor, to the Mysterious Master, capital M, capital M, before being disseminated to the rest of us humans. So, Mysterious Master, I believe, is on the more human side of things, but the Yellow Emperor is sort of like quasi-godlike because he became a god, according to the myth. Um, And then the Mysterious Woman is a goddess. So the goddess passes the recipe to the yellow emperor who passes it to this, you know, great sage, the mysterious man, master, who then passes it to the rest of us. The mysterious woman was, which is, I think any woman, right, would love that title, right? Capital M, capital W. (laughs) Mysterious woman. It would be great on like a superhero outfit, even the M and the W. They go nicely together. (laughs) Mysterious woman was, or I don't know, like a cult tattoo. I don't (laughs) know. Just change our titles yeah. real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, think about that, Olivia. When we when we develop our tattoo, so <laughs> yeah, when I'm we so... go get tattoos, Rob, I'll hold you to that. The mysterious woman was originally regarded as the immortal princess of primordial Dao. Who, oh, I remember want we're talking that. about China. I want that name. I want that. The one immortal instead. princess of primordial Dao. Yes. Uh, she passed her texts on to her son, Lao Tzu, as well as the Yellow Emperor. So her son, apparently Lao Tzu, the writer of the uh, Tao Te Ching. Hmm. So the Yellow Emperor received himself the Nine Elixirs text as part of a quest to gather teachings from the divinities. So the Yellow Emperor self-consciously sought these, and eventually she was like, okay, you can have some. <laughs> she can have nine. You can have nine of them. After learning the secrets of alchemy... He cast a tripod at the foot of Mount Jin. You know what I mean by a tripod? It's no. like a little <laughs> What's a tripod besides a tripod? It is. It's exact. Well, I mean, not like a camera tripod, but it's like that. It's like a little, like a, you could make a, like a witch's. Have you ever seen like those old pictures of the witch's cauldron is sitting on a tripod over a campfire? So it's like a little stand. Yeah, it's like a little stand. They used them in the uh, Civil War, I think, too. They would have little tripods that they would set their campfires up on. I'd have to see it. I don't know. So that's what he did. He cast his tripod down at the foot of Mount Jin. Uh, he created an elixir and ascended into heaven on the back of a dragon, accompanied by 70 of his concubines and ministers, oh, like you shit. do. That's sick. Right? So, <sighs> the Yellow Emperor was the first Hsien or human Taoist master. The characters used in the word Hsien, and by characters I mean the letters, the Chinese letters, these are the characters for man and mountain, which suggests the image of the Taoist master retreating into the wilderness. So the word Hsien, you got to take the word for man and the word for mountain, put them together, and you have the word for Hsien or Taoist alchemist master. The Hsien extended love to all things, harming nothing. So vegetarian. There are three... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There are three... <laughs> Not even vegan? <laughs> uh, well, actually, these guys are more hardcore than vegan, so you, you, just wait till you hear their diet. So there were three grades of Hsien, although it, it's really more likely, more like three and a half. So the lowest is the corpse-free Hsien, who vanish at death, leaving no body behind. Those are the guys where you look in their coffin, and it's just their clothes. The next level up is the earthly immortal who lived in the mountain separate from humankind, but still in a spiritualized physical body. So these are like Like your master. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They live 300 years. That's your kung fu movie guy with a long white beard sitting on the mountaintop. Or like Kill Bill, I guess. So 
a subset of these earthly masters is watery masters. This is when I said three and a half. <laughs> it's the watery, watery master. So remember from Chinese medicine, we have yin nature and yang nature. If you have more yin than yang, you instead of becoming a mountain master, you become a water master because you're more, I guess, passive oh, okay. feminine energy. And you go and live in the water as an aquatic master. <laughs> <laughs> so the third level, the highest level, is the master who ascends bodily into heaven. Our yellow emperor, often on the back of something cool like a dragon or a crane. Not, not a crane like, you know, a, a construction crane like the bird. Dragon would be would be cooler, but and the know. crane. I mean, I guess a crane would be more elegant. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still with the dragon up, <laughs> but you know, whatever. <clears throat> now, uh, since we're talking about corpses a bit here, and, and we are, I, I kind of want to take a moment here. Did you notice we were talking about corpses? Um, I guess. <laughs> I now I do for sure. If I didn't, vanishing corpses, <laughs> uh, or if, or bodies that live forever. So. I want to take a moment here for a very the very interesting case of a woman named Zinzui. So this is a bit of a tangent, uh, so you've been warned. Zinzui is the Lady of Tai, and she lived during the Western Han Dynasty around the year 130 before the Common Era. So that's 130 years before Jesus. Her body was buried in a nested series of four coffins. This is all true. None of this is mythological. This is actual archaeological truth. We've dug this woman up. Four nested coffins, each enclosing the next, and she was disinterred in 1968, having been remarkably well-preserved. Listen to this. Wait, the coffins were inside of each other? Like Yeah, yeah, like a nesting doll. Oh, I see. But you're like the tiniest doll in the middle of your four coffins. Okay. And you're not a coffin. You don't open up. Although they opened her up because they gave her a full autopsy. So... 1968, they did this autopsy. Zin had not lived the life of a classic Taoist master in pursuit of longevity, I I have to tell you. Um, The classic Taoist master claimed to live on, and here's the diet, dew and pine needles and resin. Uh, The Lady of Tai, by contrast, enjoyed relative luxury throughout her 50 years. She had her own musicians to perform for her and ate very well, so much so that she suffered from a fused spinal disc, lightly caused by the weight that she put on. These facts were derived from the copious evidence offered up in her physical remains. We could actually see all these details about her, and her corpse is 2,100 years old. After nearly 2,000 years in her coffin, her skin was intact, along with her organs and blood vessels, and listen to this, her eyelashes. She even had toe prints and fingerprints that they could discern. What? And here's where the alchemy gets involved here. She had been preserved in an unknown acidic liquid containing magnesium that had also been injected into her arteries. Her physical body's longevity was a product of some kind of ancient alchemy. Fun fact, her husband and son had also been very well preserved, but curiously, with completely different stuff. We just don't know what that stuff was, because it was 2,100 years ago. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's so weird. Uh, Do they normally, are they, like, culturally, is that normally what they did with like they're dead did they like preserve and then the chinese are the... not they're not like the egyptians where they're really known for these complex I they cremated maybe that's just processes now. 
the India is best is most associated with cremation. Um, but the, the, there was this emphasis, I think, if you had the money in create in preserving the body through these alchemical means, because there was a thought that the preservation of the body could lead to a kind of immortality. Mm. But that's remarkable success, right? I mean, think about that. Living human tissue is not alive anymore, the tissue, but it's still intact all 2,100 years later. It's crazy that they can't figure out, like, any component of what they used. Like, Just the magnesium. So well... Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah. Well, you know, the chemicals are going to change composition as they degrade over yeah. 2,100 years. So I think that's part of the reason. But yeah, it's just weird and wild stuff. So I didn't know where to put that. So I put that right there. <laughs> Nowhere <laughs> else to tell that story. So as soon as I finished talking about how your body could, you know, disappear, felt like that was the time for the Lady of Tai. All right, let's get back to the Hussein. The levels of Hussein have their counterpart in the three paradises or heavens. The northern land or earthly paradise is the abode of the second level earthly Hussein where they can wander about in peace, unbothered by bad weather, and drinking from the divine spring which continually flows from a mountain at the center of the realm. So if you achieve second level, second tier status, then you get to go to this heaven, the northern land. I don't even need the first tier. I'm good there. <laughs> There's other tiers. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I can put you in another tier here. Let's, no. let's try this next one. The <laughs> Western Paradise, I think you're going to like this already, is presided over by the Queen of Heaven. Okay. The Western Paradise is or- organized around a peach tree, uh, which uh, looks like a butt, as my daughter will point out. Oh. <laughs> uh, also, chickpeas, little butts. A tree of life. She's right. I never thought about it, but now, yes, now it's obvious. I can't think. Cannot think about it. A tree. So the peach tree is the tree of life in Chinese mythology and bridges the natural and spiritual worlds with the immortals. Uh, like the and, monkey king, right? The whole yes, the peach tree. Yes. Yeah. Story the, of the monkey king. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the mo- So that's that's another paradise that you could go to, the western one. If you don't want to go to the northern land, you can go to the western paradise, hang out with the peaches and the, la- the queen of heaven. I mean, that's then pretty the most- nice. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I kind of like the peach one. The most elevated of the paradises is the Isle of the Immortals. This is the eastern paradise situated in the Po Sea, where the immortals cultivate an herb of immortality. The Isle of the Immortals is the home of the eight immortals, an elite group of Hussein, likely derived from the eight immortal scholars of the Han. So you have to work here? I mean, you have to... What do you mean? Like you, you get a job? that these people have to make the, the herbs? They have to cultivate the herb, yeah. Well, I didn't have to work anywhere else on any of the other... <laughs> <laughs> I imagine in the northern land, you're probably like regularly just sort of like wandering around thinking deep thoughts. That might be what you have to do. Okay, well, all right. You might have to harvest peaches. (laughs) Anyway, so Qin Shi Huang, who reigned 200... This is now... We're moving from myth back to history. This guy reigned 200 years before the Common Era and was the founder of the Qin Dynasty. And he became preoccupied with thoughts of his own death, as we all do from time to time. He sent the explorer Zhu Fu to discover the legendary Mount Penglai, uh, which is located... Uh, in the uh, on the Isle of Immortals, but neither Zhu Fu nor the ships he left with carrying hundreds of young men and women ever returned. Wait, so that's real? This is history. This really happened. Yeah, this he, really they happened. Tried to send them to a mythical island place. Yes, 
Yeah. So Jin Shi Huang, like this is the degree to which belief in these heavens, you know, predominated. He he believed and wanted to discover it. So he said, go off into the Eastern Sea and go to Mount Penglai, which is the mountain at the center of the Isle of the Immortals. And, you know, bring me back what, you know, the elixir of life. Um, But they never came back. And the argument is that one of the arguments about why they never came back, you know, I guess they could have shipwrecked, who knows, but there's, it's possible that uh, Zhu Fu was fearful of disappointing the emperor and thought he would just kill him and all of his young men and women who he was traveling around with for some reason. The other argument is that they might have discovered Japan instead and landed at Mount Fuji rather than the legendary mountain and just said, okay, we'll stay here. Hmm. That seems very plausible, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, yeah. All right, so now let's go through uh, some of the who of the Hussein. So we've sort of taken a broad look at what they're trying to achieve and where what heavens they can go to, but now who are they actually? Uh, th- they are both men and women, as I mentioned at the beginning. There are thousands and thousands of them throughout history, but the chief among them are the Eight Immortals, capital Eight, capital Immortals. Uh, and these folks all have their own interesting lore. I'm not going to do all eight of them, but I'll, I'll give you a, a sma- the ones I think are the are the the ones I guess I struck out to me as I was reading of their stories. Chung Li Xuan is a military marshal who gave up his career in the military to pursue the Tao, the great you know the way, the way of the balance of nature. He used alchemy to make silver, which he distributed to save starving villagers. Uh, after that, he discovered the secret of immortality while he was meditating, and a wall broke in front of him, revealing a jade casket containing instructions, which ultimately led to the elixir of immortality, and then he ascended and became one of the eight immortals. Chong Kuo, I love this guy, rides a magical white donkey. Okay. <laughs> but wait, it gets better. Sometimes he sits forward on the donkey, sometimes. He sits backwards. Love that. Love that for him. He's, he's a maverick. He's a maverick. Wow. He'll ride backwards on that donkey. He'll look at the ass as he travels. What a man. And it's magical because it can. it's like a teleporting donkey. It can go great distances in a single day. So uh, Lan Ho, our next immortal, uh, is, a, is an immortal before his or her, before their time. Lan Ho, let me say this again, is an immortal before their time. Because Lan Ho is of ambiguous gender. It's non-binary. Yes, this is a non-binary immortal. One of the ancient immortals, right, in Chinese <laughs> mythology, is a non-binary character. That makes That's more why sense I love Eastern to me, culture. honestly. Then... There ought to be one, right? At least one. Yeah. Plays the flute, writes poetry about the delusions of the world's pleasures, and Ooh. ascended to, ta- to to heaven from within a wine tavern. Okay, oh well, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that just right. <laughs> uh, let me spell this. It's L A N because I know we have lots of folks, uh, lots of you know queer non-binary folks. You might want to go look this this character up. L A N T S A I dash H O Lan Xiai Ho. Anyway. So go get your tattoo. <laughs> there we go. Found That's a good tattoo. Positive <laughs> tattoo. Not a cult tattoo. <laughs> Hussein Ku, uh, the last one I'm going to mention, is the only uh, strictly female of the eight. But there's only eight. So one non-binary, one female. It's not too bad for an- the ancient world. But uh, she lived on, a, on rainbow powder. 
Oh, she's, okay. it's all she, which she made from oyster shells and moonbeams. Wait, you mean like consumed or lived yes. on yes. top of? <laughs> yeah, she lived like she lived on it like uh like I live on hummus and granola bars. She That's lived on and pepperoni, those little pepper things. You love pepperonis. Yeah, you live yes. off of those bitches. <laughs> but yes, like I live on those foods. She lived on rainbow powder and that she made out of oyster shells and moonbeams, which I guess she mixed together. That's pretty cool. She flew back and forth between her home village and the mountains and eventually just ascended to heaven in broad daylight. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So those are, that's just, uh, what, what did I do, four? That's four of the, uh, of the eight masters. That's pretty good. This is how the Hessian get to heaven or achieve immortality of some way. So those guys are all the eight great immortals because they just shot right up into heaven by the time they'd achieved the secrets. And they became the the great eight that everyone aspires to be like. Are these and these are all complete myth people, right? I, I or are they based I, off of real people, maybe? Or do you it's know so I mean? far in the distant past that it's hard to tell. But there's like really interesting details, like the white donkey and the girl flying back and forth between her village and the mountains and the wine tavern with Lanciaho. So those sort of make us feel like there are real people hidden somewhere inside of these grand myths of the eight immortals. Hmm. I was just wondering. But who knows? Yeah, the question, the answer is who knows. So through their Taoist meditation, diet, breathing, sexual exercise, or alchemy, the Hussians spiritualize their bodies such that they are able to achieve feats much like a spirit. So what you do is you spiritualize yourself. Your physical self becomes spiritualized. It's not the same as like abandoning your body and astrally projecting. You transform your body into something more like a spirit so that you can fly, change shapes, and walk through walls. You can appear young or old. You can cross great distances in a matter of moments, sometimes with a white donkey. And this all goes back to the fact that Chinese thought does not separate the body and spirit as strictly as Western philosophy and religion. For us, this is like hard to wrap our heads around, that the body becomes spiritualized. But for the Chinese, body and spirit are interrelated, which allows the Hussein to spiritualize the physical or bring the physical into the spiritual realm to sort of cross the two and create a blend. Does that make sense? Kind of like you can't have one without the other. Is that what you're saying? I think that's that is true, uh, and in the case of the Hissian, they're elevating the spirit to such a degree and elevating the physical to such a degree that they come become kind of perfected and perfectly unified. So spiritualization is often the result of having discovered and consumed an elixir, or really, I should say, the elixir. The process begins with astrology. You're welcome, Olivia. Okay, thank you. China says you're welcome. Hmm. And I say thank you. <laughs> well, now we're going to talk about a female alchemist. This is like a Women's History Day, too, in China. So the story of the first female alchemist, who was called only by her family name, which was Fang, Mrs. Fang, uh, shows that the astrological conditions of one's birth can determine their success at alchemy. According to Chinese astrology, at birth, the spirit enters the body through a particular star and exits by the same star at death. So you can see how the alignment of the stars at your birth influences your life. Time of day further determines whether your fate has a yin or a yang nature. If you're born in the daytime, you have a yang nature, which is me and my child. We're both daytime babies. Uh, a nighttime baby is yin. 
Do you guys know when you were born? I think I was born at a weird time in the morning. It was like then you had your daytime. Or maybe no, maybe it was at night. I don't know when the fuck I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was six were, something, but I don't know if it was at night or in the morning. You feel pretty yangy to me as a rule. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, probably, if I had to pick one I gravitated towards. I would guess you're more of a daytime baby. So, uh, Fang was married to, uh, so Mrs. Fang, getting back to Mrs. Fang, she was married to an alchemist named Cheng Hui, who, as part of the imperial court of Huang Menglang, uh, served as a kind of alchem- as a court alchemist. Cheng had studied uh, an alchemical text very deeply and had been trying and failing to produce an elixir when Mrs. Fang threw a substance from a pouch that she just happened to have on her into his alchemical vessel while he was doing chemistry. So, I don't know, it's like when you're walking by your boyfriend and he's playing some video game and you grab the controller and beat the level and then you just drop the controller and keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> because as soon as she tossed that in, it made silver. This guy had been trying at this for like two years. Oh, he was pissed. You know he was so mad. <laughs> he was pissed. He was amazed and asked how she had done it. And she explained this. It cannot be gained unless one has the right destiny. So basically, your astrology determines whether you are fated to be able to achieve this. The reason she could add that substance, like even if she just gave it to him, it was like, here, you put it in, wouldn't work. So Cheng begged and bribed and whipped his wife to get her alchemical secrets out of her uh, yeah, and missed the larger lesson, right, which was about astrology. He eventually drove her mad, and she ran out into the street naked, smeared herself in mud, and died. What the fuck? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is possible to use alchemy to overcome your astrology. So let's say you're born and the stars just aren't in your favor. You don't have Mrs. Fang's good stars. You can overcome that, but this requires intense spiritualization to overcome your destiny. Having the proper destiny or spiritualizing yourself beyond your destiny is step one to be able to create the elixir. Got me? So step one down, have the right destiny. (laughs) Be destined to do it or get over that. Did she say like when, like, specifically like, like which signs or if, or like what that window year. is yeah no i've told you everything we know about mrs fang okay <laughs> <laughs> right so after you consult the astrological charts to make sure the conditions are correct according to the stars the alchemist must then retreat to a sacred mountain then you can begin a special diet you have to stop eating meat also certain cereals they're really not great about certain grains. Uh, and then, sorry, you got to quit drinking. A specific mountain or any sacred mountain? You really just have to get away from people. Got it. it, it the rules are a sacred mountain, but you got all kinds of options. Be a hermit. Yeah, you got to get away from people. Got to get away from people, alcohol, and certain grains. I could do this so far. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> Olivia sold. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I feel like it, I guess. There's then a ritual purification involving perfumes. That probably just makes it more appealing to you. Not really. I'm not about the perfume life. But No? Really? I've never have worn perfume in my life. No, I guess it depends I, on oh, how it Wiccans smells. Oh, Wiccans love those baths. I sure bitches love baths, but I'm not one of them. 
<laughs> I never knew that about you. Well, it doesn't really come up very often. <laughs> like, hey, do you ever do you enjoy do bats, magic Olivia? bats? <laughs> Aubrey it's just does, such a though. waste of water that I can't wrap my head around it because then I just feel dirty because I'm sitting in Ooh. dirty water. And I, I got to take a shower you mean anyway. Bathing generally. I love. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love baths. They calm me down. Yeah, I, I Listen, can get it. Yeah. I know from Instagram that there are people listening to us as they are taking their Wiccan bath right now, and I want to tell you. <laughs> Enjoy that bath. Don't let Olivia take this away from you. I Girl, am, ask some I am more here for your bath. Oh boy, whoever you are, add some more bubbles. Get, yeah. some, get some real good bubble texture going. I like to think they all have little rubber duckies. Kind yeah. of little witch hats. <laughs> yeah, they all have rubber duckies with witch hats, yes. <laughs> and there's probably someone in the tub right now. It's like, holy shit. How did she know? Please send a picture of that. Yeah. <laughs> Men often required assistance from their wives, by the way, because the wives' yin energy was essential to balance their yang masculine energy behind every good male alchemist. It was necessary for the alchemist to have faith in his or her own process, and not only that, but not to tell anyone who would disbelieve them, because their disbelief could upset the success of the procedure, could like echo through space. That's interesting. Using it's sort of like the sort of stuff you might hear from like new mediums, like rising mediums, so that you know other people's energy can disrupt their process. Right. Keep your new negativity psychics. to yourself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, experienced folks don't generally have that problem as much, but newer folks definitely have that issue. Using a controlled heat, the alchemist slowly achieves nine cycles, subjecting the elixir to the heat nine times at nine regular intervals. Nine is a sort of a mystical number for the Chinese. During this process, the elixir passes from red to white and back and forth between these colors, symbolizing the masculine and the feminine. The red often comes from the use of cinnabar, which is, I've mentioned it before, it's a naturally occurring source of mercury and can be very difficult to refine. So the Chinese also love stuff that's difficult. If it's difficult, then it must be important. Mm. The logic of how and why to manipulate these substances go back to, goes back to theorizing around the five elements, or wuxing. In ancient Chinese thought, earth was a base element from which the other four, wood, metal, fire, and water, arose. My acting students and you guys will be very familiar with these because I <laughs> use the Chinese elements in a lot of our devising and improvising Being exercises. Wood. Yes. Water was always our... my favorite. Not wood. You didn't love being wood. <laughs> my theatrical rituals often utilize the Chinese elements. So, uh, this fundamental unity is what allows for alchemical transformation. And, oh, by the way, having done this research, I have so much more stuff for us to do on stage. Once we can get back to a stage. Nice. <laughs> the elements exist in a cycle. Wood produces fire, as in a campfire or a hearth. Fire produces earth, as in the ashes left behind. Earth produces metal, as in the ores from which we can refine copper or silver or gold. And metal produces water, as in condensation of water vapor on the surface of metal. You following me? I like that. Finally, water produces wood, as in... Can you do this one? Wait, How does water produce... Water produces wood, the last piece of the cycle. How does water produce wood? Because it grows plants? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, oh, trees. Wow. Yeah, oh, exactly right. I did it. 
Not just any plants, but trees, because yeah, we're looking for wood here. That's what I meant, but <laughs> it's fine. We can also reverse the cycle. Like, the cycle can go many different ways. Uh, so I'm just going through two of the ways the cycle functions. So we can reverse it with wood depleting water, because it, the trees suck up the water. Mm. Water rusting metal. Metal uh, mining depleting the earth. So when we mine for metal, we deplete the earth. Uh, earth extinguishing fire. We can put a fire out by kicking um, sand on it. And fire burning wood. Oh, I like so it that way. Goes both ways. Of course you do. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. I just felt like that way made a lot of sense to me. Not that the you other like way. the destructive didn't, but... rather than the creative. <laughs> Is that what? Oh, I guess you're right. Yes, you're the bulldozer. Does that mean anything bad though? Like in no, their context? No, I don't think so. It's just no, 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 no. Okay. no. It just is the way it is. The Chinese are very like that's how it is. They're not. There's no good or bad. That's cool. So each element is both yin and yang and is associated with a season and a planet as well. Wood is spring, also the planet Jupiter. Fire is summer, also the planet Mars. Earth is the end of summer and also Saturn. So summer gets a couple. But I I get that. Like summer proper, you know, June versus late August or September. Like those are very different experiences. So I hear that. Metal is autumn and also the planet Venus, and uh, water is winter, and the planet Mercury. So again, ancient China, we are not aware of Uranus and Neptune and and Pluto. So there's a smaller list of planets, which are the closest (laughs) planets to us. This was significant to alchemy because all metals were not inherently associated with metal, which would you would think would be, oh, yeah. Oh, that's confusing. Gold is metal, (laughs) and oh, yeah. Copper is metal, and mercury is metal. No, 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 not actually, because water is mercury. The planet, also the metal. Each element has their own elemental, each each metal has their own elemental designation. Copper is metal, but mercury and quicksilver, as I said, uh, are water. Earth was soil. That's the, I guess, metal is soil there. Fire is iron and wood is tin. Hmm. Understanding how the elements interrelate helps the alchemist determine how to combine them and ultimately, this can help you come up with the elixir. So you're having to do a lot of like these logic problems about the way the elements function. I feel like I'm in math class, but like an abstract math class, if that makes any sense. <laughs> like, I feel like we have no formulas that are word formulas. <laughs> now you're doing you're t- now you're doing Chinese magic. Yes, you're there. You've arrived. If you, <laughs> that's how you feel, you've arrived in okay. Chinese magic. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, the last big subject for today is a guy named Gay Hong. G.E. Hong. The story of the nine elixirs uh, sort of picks up with Gay Hong, who brings them into the modern, or I guess early modern age. He wrote the inner chapters of the Book of the Master Who Embraces Spontaneous Nature in the 4th century. If that sounds like a long title, you should read some of the things John Dee wrote. So it's actually a pretty restrained title. Um, Although it seems Gye Hong wrote the book before he'd conducted any alchemical experimentation, his work has been regarded by subsequent alchemists and modern scholars as a central tome on alchemical processes. Gye Hong's family appears to have been the only ones to possess the Tai Ching scriptures, the scriptures of the Nine Elixirs. So... How is that? How are the, so? If we go back generations, his family were the only ones to have these books for a while. How did that happen? His lineage actually goes back to a master during the period of the era of the Three Kingdoms, which happened after the fall of the Han Dynasty. 
It was during this time that the legendary Taoist master Zuo Si lived. The alchemy he practiced involved elixirs, also controlled breathing and Taoist sexual exercises. He learned it at least in part from scriptures he discovered in a cave. He visited various courts in the Three Kingdoms, but is most identified with the feats he performed for the warlord Cao Cao. So by warlord, we mean that during the period of the Three Kingdoms, the Three Kingdoms are ruled by these separate you know, warlords. The, the, China sort of divided into these warring, civil warring factions. So what miracles did he perform for Cao Cao? He fed the court on food and wine that he produced magically. He teleported to bring the warlord Ginger. And when Cao Cao grew suspicious and envious of his power and attempted to execute him, Zuo Xi escaped by walking through a wall and hid from the warlord's soldiers by causing everyone in the market to look like him. Oh, <laughs> weird. It gets even weirder. He hid in a flock of sheep, and the soldiers thought they'd caught him when a goat stood to talk to them. So <laughs> they chased him into this flock of sheep. What? And then suddenly this goat stands up on its hind legs and is like, hey, what are you guys looking for? And they're like, oh, that must be the magician. We know. It must be him. He's the talking goat. <laughs> and so they're, they're starting to head into the field to abduct, to, to, you know, like arrest the talking goat. And then all of the sheep stand up on their hind legs, turn into goats, and start talking to them. I don't oh my like God. that for some reason. <laughs> I'm scared. That would terrify me. I love that story. Well, yeah, that's the point. Then he disappeared into the mountains, where he is said to have lived to the age of 300. His disciple, still not Gi Hong, but Gi Shuan, was Gi Hong's great uncle. Because in China, the names are reversed. So your first name is your last name. So the family of Gi, G-E. So Gi Shuan's parents died while he was only an adolescent. And this was the catalyst to launch him onto a lifelong pursuit of the Tao. This is my man's uncle. He lived secluded in forests and mountains, sought out Taoist masters, and ate the reishi mushroom to promote longevity. Ooh, reishi. People are, people, that's coming back big time. The reishi mushroom? Oh yeah, people love that shit now. There's like, it's like a whole thing. People are drinking it in like tea all the time now. It's like a new agey like thing. Joe Rogan's got an episode on it. Well, not that kind of mushroom, but... Oh, right. You're right. Uh, doesn't he do that? So, oh, I'm sure there are podcast episodes on this freaking mushroom in the health and fitness section. I literally, like, if I opened the thing next to me, I have, like, green tea with that in it. With reishi mushroom? <laughs> yeah. You are on your way to Taoist perfection, but you're taking Sick. very s- tiny steps. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> he, he met the immortal Zuo Si, so my man Gi Zhuan. So he's like the link between Gi Hong, who writes this book that then gets passed down to us, and Zuo Si, the legendary master who turned all the sheep into goats. Um, so he meets him, and Zuo Si is like, here's the nine elixirs. He passes it on. So he's the holder of these ancient texts, and he passes them on to Uncle Gi Xuan. Then Gi Xuan devotes himself to the practice defined in the book and begins healing the sick with his alchemical potions. Nice move. His success pleases the gods, who send down the perfect man of the ultimate. Let me say that name again. The perfect man of the ultimate. That's a character. That's a lot. And the perfect man bestows the 36-volume numinous treasure on Gi. 
Gi was then summoned by the ruler of Wu so that the ruler could bestow a glorious rank on him, but he didn't care. He didn't care. He didn't want the title. So the ruler pressed him to stay so that Gi felt like he could not leave. I am being constrained by the ruler of the realm to stay here, so I haven't had the time to make the great medicine. Now I will depart in the middle of the 13th day in the 8th month. Laying down in his finest clothes, he ceased breathing. Three days later, a great wind blew through his apartment as his funerary rites were being performed and his body disappeared, leaving only his clothing behind. So he, he's got that first level master there because he leaves the clothing. Corpse free. He's the corpse free master. His disciple was Zheng Yin, who in turn taught Gi Hong, bringing it to my man, my early modern man. Gi Hong advocated that instead of diet and exercise, alchemy and meditation were the means to achieve immortality and gain access to the gods as well as the worlds of the spirits and demons. So quit all that working out and drinking that mushroom tea. Yep. Just do magic. <laughs> Just get down to magic. Ingesting herbal remedies may prolong your life, but it is no path to immortality itself and has no impact on otherworldly beings. So you can't manipulate spirits or protect yourself from spirits just by eating, drink, drinking that reishi mushroom. Gihong was particularly focused on the use of alchemy to gain the protection of benevolent gods and to ward off demons and ghosts. Why is that? Well, in China... If a person is not properly interred after they die, or their tomb is not properly kept, they can become a homeless, wandering ghost. It's very important to keep up graves and visit gravesites and maintain your ancestors' gravesites. This in part is why the Chinese are sort of very concerned with having male children, because it's their responsibility, technically, to look after the gravesite. Because if you don't, then the ghost pops out, starts wandering around, and becomes dangerous. It can negatively impact the safety and the health of the living. So those nine elixirs, one of them is for immortality, but the others have different magical properties. Um, you, you don't, and you don't have to drink them all. You can wear them on your belt or rub them on your eyes. You can rub them on the door of a house. You can rub them on the walls of a city. They can keep off attack by dangerous weapons. They can protect you from tigers and wolves. They can protect you from thieves and robbers. And of course, demons. And if you smear them on your feet, you can walk on water. You can even bring back the dead. Meditation is a focus uh, on the inner gods located at different points in the physical body. It can elevate the self toward immortality, but also achieve magical aims like multiplying your image or concealing it, as with the uh, guy in the marketplace who saved himself, Zuo Si. Take the residue of the elixir from the crucible, mix it, and pound it 50,000 times. Add some sugar or honey to it and make it into pills the size of cola nuts. These are the divine pills of the great ultimate for reverting to life. If you place two of these pills in the mouths of those who have died no more than three days earlier and make them ingest those pills with freshly drawn water, they will come back to life. Gihong is a kind of high watermark in writing about Waidan alchemy. 60 years after Gihong completed his text, the pursuit of great clarity was supplanted by a philosophy of the highest clarity, written between 364 and 370. Uh, and it's with this that we begin to reach the conclusion of our episode here. These revelations, collectively called the Shangqing texts, sought in part to focus Taoist alchemy almost entirely on meditation and inner work. 
The external mixing and creation of elixirs was interpreted as a metaphor for the internal work that the alchemist needs to do on him or herself. So beginning with these texts, the philosophy of the highest clarity rather than the pursuit of great clarity, we start to see a turning away from, you know, the making of alchemical potions. This marked a split between what's called Wydan and Nadan alchemy. So these are the two roots to alchemical immortality, the external or Wydan and the internal or Nadan. So when we, what we mean by Wydan is the external path. And that looks more like our Western conception of alchemy with adepts seeking secret recipes and combining various chemical substances, creating potions. Nadan is focused on the individual cultivating what are called the three treasures, the physical energy of the body, the natural energy of the universe, and the spirit. Western alchemy, what's interesting about this, and I'm sure our Western alchemy students out there are uh, catching this similarity, has had the exact same division, with alchemists attempting to cultivate themselves, believing that their personal spiritual elevation determined the success of their exper uh, experiments with material substances. And so uh, we can see this direct correlation between internal and external alchemy uh, sort of emerging independently in both areas uh, without any clear explanation for why it's showing up in, in, in both places. Um, and that, my friends, brings us to the end. Uh, with the rise of Nadan, we come to the end of our story of the origins of Chinese alchemy and the way of the masters to achieve the creation of the great elixir and to ride into heaven on the back of, in Olivia's case, a dragon, in my case, an elegant crane. Shannon, what would you like to ride on? Ooh. Can you only choose between the two? I guess that's no, all you, there was. No, you could pick another thing. A queen oh, or a dragon? We could pick anything. Oh my Too late. gosh. We picked a thing. Shannon's the only one. She's got the big choice. Hmm. <laughs> Can I pick a salamander? Just a like a giant one or a small? <laughs> a moderately like, sized one. You got one, one foot on the salamander. Yeah. Like, no. You have to like perch. A meat, like a size go. of a, a decent, like a, a dog, a dog-sized salamander. I think you should go for like a giant. Like flying salamander, but that would look like a dragon. I don't want them to. Get no, it looks more like a giant skink. Mm. A giant skink. <laughs> a little one will make Shannon look big by comparison, so she'll That's look mightier. What I'm going maybe. For. Yeah, I think if you put another like enough under your feet, you could just Ooh, like two tiny like, ones ride them around like kinda. skates. Yeah, they just like carry you <laughs> as they walk. I didn't say you got two. I, I think we're getting a little out of hand here. Hmm. What do we make of Chinese alchemy, ladies? I thought I thought it was more interesting than Western alchemy. <laughs> Honestly, ouch, ouch. Easy there. Our listeners are no. way into Western alchemy. I guess also I just, bathing. <laughs> I always thought that the elements, like how they were different, was always pretty interesting. So maybe that's why I just it's a different kind of logic, yeah. It's a yeah. different kind of logic. I didn't realize, like, I knew about the Chinese elements being different, but I didn't realize that there was, like, a, like a flow to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't... Yeah, we, yeah I, we could do hours on that. I could go back and do, like, three or four more versions of how the elements connect to each other and dissociate from each other. There's charts on this stuff. To guard the mysterious one, meditate on yourself as dividing into three persons. After you see these three persons, continue to increase them until they become several dozen, all similar to yourself, but hiding or showing themselves. I'm just curious about um, which signs, um, as we discussed before, that that works for alchemy or like helps you out. Or I wonder, does it's it not go, a great way to word it, but 
Well, because the Chinese zodiac is very different too. Mm-hmm. And it's more mean? based on year than. Right. I'm. I am year of the dog. I think. I think I'm the rat. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I know that four, four is around me too, but I think ninety four is the dog. I know two thousand is the dragon because that's Brianna. I believe we are year of the dog, Olivia. You and I would share the same year sign because we're twelve yeah. years apart. I think, yeah. I'm pr- I have a yeah. shirt. I'm pretty sure that has it on it. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's do those sources, I guess. <laughs> cool. Chinese Alchemy by Jean Cooper. Also, WomenAlchemists.com. Check that out for a little bit for some fun times. Uh, Alchemists, mediums, and magicians translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. I've also got to give a shout out to Fabrizio Pregat. Pregadio, um, I, I used his text, Great Clarity, Taoism and Alchemy in Early Medieval China, but he's got a series of texts um, on Chinese alchemy, any of which I, I would recommend. They they are on the scholarly side of things, but if this fascinates you and you're willing to take that deep dive, Fabrizio Pregadio is a, a nice way to go. Okay, let's open up that order of confessors. We're going to bang that gong. Robert S. is still listening and still laughing, and he wonders if we might explore the relationship between occultism and humor. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. We'll we'll meditate on that, humorously. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit of a challenge. W123321E. Oh, are they a computer robot? Okay. (laughs) No, this is a... A human of fine and discerning tastes, Olivia, because they think we are educational, entertaining, and thought-provoking. They also think that you should listen if you're interested in occult history. I guess the you in this case is not all of you who are currently listening, but the theoretical you who's reading the comments before they listen to the podcast. I thought you were directing that at one of us, and I was very confused. I was like, like, you want us to listen to the podcast that we're doing? No, no, no. These are comments, you know. Because our, our comment section is a constant war. So that's true. <laughs> shots fired in our favor. More shots fired in our favor. Poet from TSP Forum, which I kind of I looked up, tried to find. I'm not sure what that stands for. Feel free to send us a message. Uh, finds us somewhat irreverent, frequently entertaining, and informative. So thank you, friends. Uh, we've had some anonymous folks feeding us stars as well on the iTunes. Yay, uh, and we guys. certainly appreciate that. I will say, uh, just a little bit of inside baseball, as it were, Spotify is certainly a larger platform for us. Um, you know, I, I put us on lots of different platforms, and, and we, we do okay, I think, on... I th- we do, like, proportional, I, th- I think, on the platforms. The platforms that are very popular, it's where we have the greatest share of our audience, and as the platforms get less popular, you know, in the wide world, our audience is sort of proportional to the size of it. Um, but Spotify is where we tend to succeed a lot. So, you know, there's no f- way to share your thoughts with us on, on Spotify, uh, whether you're liking or hating. I think if you're listening to us at this point, probably you don't hate us because you haven't, you know, angrily turned it off. But if you want to <laughs> share your thoughts with us, uh, our website does have a contact link. And uh, I, I loved it. Robert S. used the contact link to send us the message uh, today. So I, I welcome you to to reach out to us. I've, I've heard from various folks that way. And, and those messages I, I tend to keep private unless folks are also doing public stuff. You can hear, Robert, I, I, uh, I conceal your name. So uh, <laughs> by all means, if you're listening on Spotify and you want to send us uh, some thoughts, Emails a, a great way on the contact or Facebook. Connect with us on our Facebook group page, uh, which is doing pretty good. Uh, it's a reasonable number of people. Instagram, Shannon, you want to plug that Instagram? Oh, 
Yep, it's just the cold confessions. <laughs> that was easy. There uh, you go. <laughs> but you're you're doing good work over there. We've got like a hundred sixty some odd posts. Am I right? One hundred seventy posts. Yeah, of it's a bunch. Various things, pictures you can enjoy. Yeah, and that's a, a lot of people have been messaging us on there, and it's really I don't know. It's nice to hear feedback from everyone. We love mean, to talk to y'all. Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of people too on my Instagram. Just that yeah. have been talking to me. That it's just been really nice. It's a community, friends. We like to talk to y'all. Uh, you don't have to talk to us. You can also just listen. And you can ignore that's fine. us if you want. You can ignore it's the crap listening. out of us. Yeah. Put the bath. Put on the bath and to put on the thing. And <laughs> what? you can it's also good. listen in the shower. <laughs> yeah, tag us in your uh, bath photos. <laughs> make sure oh, your device is. Only if there's rubber. Only if you have a rubber ducky involved. We did. We had a yeah. listener send a bath yeah. photo. I can't remember. We the, did. The, oh, yeah. We literally did. I forgot. We just had that happen. And we were delighted. We were yeah, absolutely we'll delighted. Yeah, we'll take more. I mean. Look like a nice bath. Our kind of people. Okay. Olivia, bring us on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. I called on our old familiar favorites, Brandon Walls and Sean Priest, uh, Silver Tongue Shadow and Voice of the Kings. Am I right? Are those, is that their yeah. titles? Mm-hmm. So those those fellows did our, our couple of Chinese masters for us today. This is it, I am sorry to say, for Chinese alchemy. Uh, not just Chinese alchemy, but alchemy in general. We're p- closing the book on alchemy. That doesn't Aww. mean we're never going to come back. But for this series, oh. we've got to move on because it's it's Halloween time, guys. It's spooky season. Spooky season is happening. It's coming up now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited, guys. I'm sorry. That was, yeah. All right. So what that means for us uh, over at the Alchemical Actor Ranch, and by that I mean the closet in which I am currently recording, (laughs) is that we are going to be doing a series on evil spirits. Now, I don't even like the word evil because my occulty upbringing is in a very white light school of thought where we don't even believe evil exists. It's just good evolving. However... Uh, there are some entities out there that have been labeled evil. Such as? Yeah, yeah, listen here. I thought you were gonna like. <laughs> yeah, such as. We can do such as. We will be starting our next episode with incubi and succubi. That's badass. <laughs> yes, Lilith is gonna come up in almost every episode of this That's season. That's my girl. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll just do it all. We're going to cover gin, uh, the Ooh. genies. We are going to, which are actually, they're a bit neutral, but the, there's evil and, and, and good gin. We're going to cover vampires. We're going to do that for Halloween, of course. Uh, and I've got some interesting stories. I think vampires are like over-covered perhaps in the podcastosphere, but um, we're, we're going to take our own approach to this and I think share some new stuff. And we won't talk about Elizabeth Bathory because, uh, first of all, Olivia has proven Elizabeth Bathory not a vampire. Second of all, we're more around, you know, actual vampire legend and lore. But go to our Patreon if you want to listen to more about Elizabeth Bath- Bathory. Nice plug. <laughs> nice plug in the end there. Uh, what else? I've got a couple more in there. I just like picture me sitting next to Olivia. <gasps> oh, we did poltergeist back in the day. I guess we did. Back. I didn't know how much you. Back to the you well. Said you pictured... Oh, I just picture me like sitting next to you as we're recording, like all spooked and like it's like Olivia, like Shannon... you gonna be okay? <laughs> yeah, Shannon is a. <laughs> Shannon likes to ask me ghost questions. And pretty, I get, I get, frequently. I get spooked really easily. I remember we all went to see one of the It movies together, and I closed my eyes as soon as the music changed. <laughs> 
like to the point I didn't know how the ending was. Yeah, in the car on the way back, she she had to ask us what happened. Like, did they survive? She, she didn't watch any of it. And they're like, Shannon, like, why'd you see the movie? Like, if you weren't going to watch it, I'm like, I just like hanging out with you guys. And they're like, you're stupid. I'm like, I know. <laughs> say you're stupid. We've got the Wendigo. We're going to do some Native American lore oh, and legend shit. from Canada. That's cool. The Wendigo. Uh, that might be the that. last one. Oh, and shadow people. So we're going to cover the mayor. We're going to cover mayors. Shadow <laughs> people, I wanted to do an episode on shadow people, but the truth of the matter is when you even attempt to explore shadow people, getting serious scholars to discuss shadow people is next to impossible. Um, so I, I'm going to bring up shadow people in the context of discussing nightmares, uh, the Sleep terror paralysis. that comes in the night. Yeah. Sleep paralysis and that sort of stuff. So sleep-based demon activity. We love right. to see it. So that's, whew, that, and uh, that's still not the end of the year. Then I've still got another series to come, and I, I'm not ready to share with you guys yet. I've already decided. I'm already doing the research on that series, and you're the, uh, ever, all of you. I, I feel confident. Ninety percent of our audience is going to be thrilled when I announce what we're doing at the end of the year. But wow, keeping it to myself for now. <laughs> Tease. I'm teasing. Go listen to Dark Pool, and then maybe I'll tell you. So. <laughs> Uh, my name is Rob C. Thompson. I am joined by Olivia Litterall and Shannon Landers. Bye. It's been real. Bye, friends. Okay. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>